Hi, I'm Nick. I'm Rory. And I'm Jay. And this is Midnight Chats, an Octivigant companion show where we sit down with your favorite paranormal authors, investigators, and researchers and have a chat about their work, the phenomenon, and all the strangeness in between. And on this episode, we are joined by researcher, author, and friend of Noctivigant, Jack Preston King. That's right. We had Jack back on, and he was enlightening as always. Yeah, no, no it, it shouldn't be a surprise. It shouldn't be. It he, was it was a wonderful conversation. Yeah, well, even besides the fact that he generally has some insights that make me really think and lay yeah. awake at night screaming, um, he is also just a really nice, friendly person. Yeah. That's always yeah. really, really nice to talk to. And he's, yeah. re- he's really well-spoken and really, really smart. Yeah, no, this was a, this was a great time. Uh, we, we got into a lot of esoteric, kind of more spiritual issues, uh, waxing poetic about the nature of the universe, and mm-hmm. we also learned about the various c- secret code names he's gone under over yep. the years, which yep. is way more extensive than I anticipated. It was yeah. very cool. Also, his secret second career is an office supply thief, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but so it was it was a great time, and. Uh, yeah, I think it's there. Are we ready yeah. to listeners let's, here? Let's, let's just dive right in because right. it's a long one. All right, yeah. let's go. And we are on the air with Jack Preston King. How's it going, Jack? It is going great. It's so great to be back on the show. Yeah, we are so excited to have you on, and this time as a guest on Midnight Chats. Yep. You have uh, you have been a true friend of the show since our earliest days, and we are just so happy to be able to talk to you. Yeah, episode Thank 19. You. Sweet. It, you know, here's the, here's the stupid thing. is The 19 even sounds like an absurd number. I, I know. Like, but we're I way know. past that now. But anyway... Uh, so, Jack, our first question is, I mean, it's not going to be a surprise to you. What are you currently reading and what are the sort of books you tend to gravitate towards? Well, the the book that I'm currently reading and I'm re- I'm on the last chapter, so I'm really close, is is called The Drunkard's Walk: How Randomness Rules Our Lives by a guy named Leonard Mladenow. Now, why am I listening to a book about randomness? Because I when I picked it up, I thought, "Oh no, it's going to be a math book," but I thought I I still want to know this. Um, and it's not really a math book. There's some of that in there, but not a whole lot. They kind of dumb it down, which is good. Um, this plays into the whole the whole larger thing. I'm, I'm always collecting pieces of information that I think will help me to put the whole puzzle of, of the phenomenon, of spirituality, of all these things, put them together. And uh, randomness was a, a thing. I, I started noticing it in dreams. I started, I've recorded dreams for probably 30 years. I've written down all my dreams. And uh Something I had noticed in the last year or so that I hadn't really paid attention to before is that uh, really things that happen in dreams are, are when you when you really look at them separate. Well, when you look at them separate from the narrative that you create for them, they're they're pretty random. A lot of really random things happen in dreams. Um, you don't you don't have causality in dreams. So so things really are like genuinely random. And then but then when you write dreams down. You turn them into a story, or I do, and I think most people do. You say, "Well, then, then this happened to me, and that," and and I I was been paying attention to that in in uh, 
in dreaming and and in post dreaming and writing things down. And I was, and I was like, look how at these random things. And then I started paying more attention to to everyday life, waking life. And, I, and I'm looking around. And I'm saying, look, most things in waking life are completely random too, or very very random, far more random than we give it credit for. And I said said now I've reached the point where I've reached the limit of my knowledge. I need to go out and collect some information on this, some knowledge. So that's why I picked up this book. And it's been super fascinating because it's, it, I'm not a math head and I'm never going to be a math head, but I, I, I was an English major. Um, so I'm, but I'm put, definitely trying to put together my own puzzle of how everything is put together. And so I thought, well, this is something that I needed. So I got it. That's fascinating. And I never would have thought to like pick up a book on like even the idea of like mathematical randomness to see how it might, you know, intertwine with paranormality and all, and all of that. But it is, that is fascinating and makes me want to cover something like that on the show. Oh God. <laughs> it really matters because in my thought, my thinking is because I, I have had lots of paranormal experiences in the course of my life. And I'm it's it's like if you don't understand this is what this is what came to me with this is if you don't understand randomness and the kinds of patterns that happen in randomness but don't actually have meaning um then you won't recognize non-randomness when it happens right you know it, you have to sort all of that out and 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 sort of sharpen the tool of your mind so that that you can tell so that you don't fool yourself because there are a lot of things that happen that are just not what everybody thinks is going on in the world, but you don't want to jump to any conclusions. You want to rule everything else for, out first right? so that you can really say, hey, this this really happened. This is a piece of the puzzle. That's fascinating. And, you know, might be, you know, I, you know, I, you know, I, 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 you know, I think I'm going to have to look into something like that because I think that would help answer some of the, uh, the lingering questions that we've, uh, that not answer, you know, but help us uh, like put it all together or start putting more pieces together in some of these like unanswered uh, questions and thoughts that we've had uh, all over the show. Yeah. Rory, I'm going to say this now. I'll, I'm game. I'll read it. But if you make me do math, I will kill you. <laughs> it's, I, well, I recommend this book in particular because it doesn't have much of that there. You don't have to do any math. It's, it's basically written for people who don't know anything, which was me. So that's perfect. Well, and the great thing about that high, the, once you get to that, like the theory math and stuff like that, a lot of the actual numerical stuff gets thrown out the window anyway. But you know, you know, DM me, uh, DM me the name of that book because I would be very interested in, sure. in checking it out. I wrote it down. Oh, all right, all right. Never well, mind then. Well, on that topic, uh, so you mentioned you've had a plethora of paranormal experiences, I guess. So what fostered your interest in the paranormal? And can you run us down, I guess, some of your, your biggest hits in terms of your par own paranormal experiences? Well, that, I'm 58 years old, and that's a big ask there. But let me, let me not take <laughs> up your whole time on there. Really, my interest in the paranormal started because I was born in the 60s and grew up in the 70s. And, and the 70s were... A, a just the time of the paranormal they were the time of the new age everything was was bust and loose all over ufos were everywhere it was the it was big news um all of the books that you guys cover things like the mothman prophecies and that were new when i was 12 years old 13 years old so i was i was reading all these books i grew up uh half a block from the po lo, uh, the public library in the small town where i, I grew up and they carried all of those books. All of that stuff was on the new book rack and, and just one after the other. And I ate all of this up and, and it really opened my mind a lot. I, I'm really grateful to have grown up in the 70s because it was a time of, of 
just the sky is the limit. Um, so I grew up with that stuff. And and my my I grew up, I don't know if you've actually read my my uh flying saucer book, The Golden Age of Flying Saucers, under one of my many pseudonyms. But the the it starts out with the with the phrase, I was I was born in a flying saucer family because my, I even come to it naturally because my parents uh it, they they lived well. They they grew up in the fifth. Or they grew up in the thirties, forties, fifties, um, and when they first met each other in the the late fifties, um, they used to go chasing flying saucers out in the desert. They lived in in Phoenix, Arizona, and they would. This was what people did in that time for fun. My mom was proposed to by a man who told her then that he was from Venus, um, mm. and she said she said no. But having people from Venus walk into your your place of business or whatever and talk to you was pretty common in the 50s. There was all the contactee movements and things that were going mm-hmm. on. It was, it was, so I, I, I grew up with that. I was raised in that atmosphere and we, you know, we all talked about dreams at our, at the breakfast table. We all told our dreams. And, and uh, I mean, when I was a kid in the, the first grade, my very first uh, show and tell, for example, in the first grade was I knew it was coming up. So my mom stayed up half the night and drew this. She was an artist and she drew this amazing um, astrological chart with all the signs and everything. And I would have, what are you in first grade? You're like, what, six, seven years old. And I knew enough to, to like espouse or to do a thing on that um, right there, expound upon that um, in first grade class. So it was the seventies were a wild time. I recommend it to anybody who gets to figure out time travel. I'd go back, <laughs> back there. All right. So well. it, so you were you were asking about that. So so I came into lots of, of that was my mindset going into adulthood, and and so I ended up finding my way into all kinds of paranormal little paranormal experiences, ghost encounters, and uh, the the telepathic experience I told you guys about the on on the the Derenberger show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and lots of little things that happened there. I don't want to I don't want to go on at length here because I don't want to. I don't want to cut into how you're editing here. So you tell me <laughs> when to stop and when to start. Oh, no, please. Oh, you're good. Please, whatever you want to share, we're, we'll, we're okay. happy to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Cut cut all this middle stuff out. Of course. Of um, course. Yeah. And I, well, I've, I've had one huge, uh, what I would call mystical experience, but it's not, it's really a paranormal experience too. It fits right into that thing. And then, and then lots and lots of little ones. Um, and the, the big one that, that, uh, I invite everyone to come and read a free book about it. Um, happened in 1988, and I was was working in a movie store. I was managing a movie store at the time, uh, like, like you know, video rental store, as one does in the 80s. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it was a good time. And I was alone in this in the store, and there was it was fairly, I don't know, 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. And it wasn't super busy, and I was I was walking around, shuffling things around in the store, and I was reading a book on the sly because you know, as one does. <laughs> and uh, I suddenly suddenly just had what I've definitely come to think of later as a download experience. And a lot of people, you see a lot of that on the internet where you get these information downloads. And I was just mm-hmm. just, and it was it was not a it was not a good one necessarily. There there was like a ton of information that that like shot into me at, at this really high rate of speed so much so that I knew that this crazy thing was happening but I couldn't grasp any of it it was just like coming it was like flowing in and flowing out and then it was over and I'm like holy cow um a lot of that has dribbled out slowly over the 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 30 years that have followed I I wrote one book uh well, two books. I wrote one book that was a just a little autobiography, and it's free, and it's it's out there on the internet, and I'll lead people to it later. Um, and I also wrote a the first book I actually published um, 
in 2006 uh, is is called um, the simplest path to personal and planetary awakening free your mind and it was it's a book that really came it's like some of this information sort of flowed forward um and came at me and then i sort of set that book aside and it's, it's been out there for a long time and then i forgot about it for a while and then fairly recently like about may of last year some of this started happening again and so i'm working on on another project with that in in the mean in between that was like the big one and then there has been lots of small ones um ghost encounters i think so it had sort of visionary things and some of that appears in the little autobiography book um just things from the tiniest to the largest and i and i want to part as part of my so got my part of my great task is sorting all of this out um you know getting a getting a uh coming up with a theory that that like a frame that puts it all into a frame, but but not one that's that so explains it that it's no longer a, a living phenomenon, you know. So you've and, had just a plethora of experiences throughout yeah, your life. I, yeah, I mean a lot. Probably probably you know ten or twelve. That sounds like a lot, but most people don't have any. So ten right. or twelve is a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that's more than that's more than me when I can say genuine paranormal experiences i i would say i'd probably i'd probably put it two i'd put mine at three and that's that's partially because i only count the ones where there was an independent witness outside myself right. who saw the same thing uh no oh, but that's fa that's fascinating now when you're looking at the paranormal though so we know you do a lot of study into world religions and the like uh do you consider paranormal phenomenon as separate from your study of religion and human spirituality or do you see these two spheres as overlapping? Not only do they overlap, I think that that this is where I've come to. Spirituality, religion, and the phenomenon are different lenses through which we are looking at the same thing. And, and I say that because I've had a lot of experience on both sides, and, I, and, and the flavor is the same. And, and I'll, I'll say this, that Every religion, when you talk about religion, first people just think of organized religion, you know, Christianity and Islam and Judaism and, and Buddhism. And you, and you think, oh, that stuff, you know, that, that old dry stuff. And the thing is, every single religion that's ever existed started in a paranormal experience. You know, the, the, yeah. the, burning, the burning bush, the, the uh, you know, being knocked down on the, the road to Damascus, you know, St. Paul. and, and you know the the uh, all I like all of them yeah yeah they they all do and 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 it, it's one of it's it's one of the most subtle things to try to figure out i mean they they all start in a paranormal experience and they eventually become codified to a point that what should, what began in a paranormal experience and should lead to a paranormal ex experience ends up becoming a roadblock to paranormal experience because and I think about, I've thought about this a lot. And what happens is that people, even people who have these experiences, you have a, an ex, you have an up close and personal experience with the phenomenon. Even if you get abducted by aliens or something, you're, you, you have the experience and it happened and it, it really affects you, but then you immediately start trying to explain it. And right. you start trying to find find a way to put it in a frame, put it in a box, and to say, "This is what happened to me." And as soon as you do that, as soon as you have your box, you're out. You're no longer in touch with the phenomenon itself. 
you you accept you accept your explanation in place of your relationship with the phenomenon and and i mean and you look at it on the religious side i mean i would honestly not to offend the world but i would say that that most the vast majority of christians for example have a relation their primary relationship is not with god it's with the bible they've accepted a a a physical book in place of the actual experience of the 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 paranormal reality behind that that was driving all of those events you know and 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 that exchange just cuts you off and you're immediately you're you're in you're caught up in a dream you're caught up in an illusion at that point you're following something that isn't even real and and the same thing happens like uh with the phenomenon with paranormal experiences people i mean almost everyone for example when you have a ghost encounter you 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 have a uh, you go into a house and it's haunted and things happen almost everyone jumps to the conclusion that ghosts are the spirits of dead people and yet and yet how do you know that and and the thing is that that it, that the point where you take that explanation you might go in and have lots of other further ghost encounters but you're already explaining it to yourself. You're already limiting what can happen because you've you've substituted an, a, an explanation for the experience itself, or you've superimposed an explanation on top of the experience. I've, I've been listening to your uh, Summer of Streber series, for example. Yeah. And one of the things I, yeah, <laughs> one of the things I really, maybe even the biggest thing that I admire about Whitley Streber, even though a lot of his uh, narrative can get pretty disjointed out there by the time you guys were on the the third or fourth book you're like slow down wit i can't follow you yep. yeah. Um, yeah oh god whitley but i think i think the thing i admire most about him is that he objectively refuses to settle on one answer one explanation yeah. for this he'll he tries on this and he tries on that and then he'll say this even comes close and then he says but not not close enough i'm not, you know that's that that's in the that's in the picture but it's not the whole picture and by doing that, and I think he does it on purpose. I think he, he does this intentionally because he's a smart guy. Um, and he's a, a person who's had a lot of his own spiritual and paranormal experiences. What he's, what he, he understands that if he accepts one explanation, he'll separate himself from the experience. The thing itself will stop happening or it'll at least change in such a way that it'll begin to conform to his expectations. You know, if he says, okay, I believe it's just actually nuts and bolts aliens from, from another planet and they're here, they're abducting people, it'll, it'll become that because that's how the phenomenon works. That's how religion works. It, it conforms to your beliefs. So, so if you really want to experience it, you really want to be in the presence of it, you can't put your beliefs between you and it. You've got to let it be what it is and you be what you are so that, that somewhere in the middle of that, you can actually experience it. And that's that's like a big thing in my world. That's that's sort of my whole spiritual path right there, really to, to know as much as I can, understand as much as I can, but also remain in that space of, of uncertainty, of not knowing, and put myself in the path of these events as often as I can, because that's where the real changes take place you know and a lot of some it's kind of scary you know you look at whitley streber his experiences are, are terrifying yeah but but he keeps walking back into him because yep. he, he whether he says it or not he knows that that's where the action is that's where truth is that's where reality is is in that place in between that's someplace that place that is that's where reality is really happening and not in the place of your explanations and your beliefs about it mm-hmm. 
Interesting. Uh, it reminds me of a conversation that we've had uh, a couple times in relation specifically to John Keel's concept of the ultra-terrestrials. Yep. And that, you know, again, you go back to, you. we say resist belief and that that's kind of the way to uh, get, get out of the ultra-terrestrials game and how John Keel conceives the world. But then we were talking about, well, a guy shows up at your, let's say an eight-foot-tall Nordic-looking dude shows up at your door and says, hi, my name is Thor and I'm from Venus. Like, how do you resist belief in the situation where you're being handed kind of a manufactured truth? And that's, I mean, that's, I'm not expecting you to have the answer. It's a question I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I'm, does, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure anyone has the answer to that. No, it's, it's a good question. And, and a big part of it, that's why so much of spirituality, see, well, I'll just keep walking on this line where spirituality and the paranormal are the same thing. Um, so much of spirituality is about releasing yourself from your ego, from letting your ego go and, and not making everything about you. Because uh, if, if Thor comes to my door and starts telling me that I'm the, I'm the new prophet with the truth about reality, the first, my first thought is going to be not me. I'm, I'm not going to puff up about it because that's what most people do. They'll puff up about it and they'll say, oh, I'm prophet. Oh, look <laughs> at me. And, and, that's, and that's the danger. You know, that's the Woody Derenberger thing. I was re-listening yep. to our show about Woody Derenberger, you know, at, at the point where he had an audience he he began to puff up and began to to find ways to express himself in that, and I think it's much more uh, complicated than that. And you really have to take yourself out of these things in order to to actually experience what they are. But if you just want to experience yourself, go look in a mirror, you know. And that that's you can get around that. I'll give you I'll give you a, I'll tell you a little story, one of these many tiny little paranormal stories. And this one wasn't even me. This was my wife. Um, when we we live in a small town in Missouri. And we moved here from St. Louis. So we, we both lived most of our lives in a big city. So we came to this small town to raise our children in a small town. So when we first moved here, we had a rental house um, in town. And I was at work and my, my wife was at home. And one day the doorbell rings and she goes to the door. And there's a woman standing at, at the door who is... Uh, now, my wife knows nothing about flying saucers. She knows nothing about men in black. She knows nothing about any of this stuff. And, and she doesn't care. She has no interest in this stuff. Mm -hmm. So so she comes to the door and there's a woman standing at the door who is is dressed in a a black suit, a man's suit. Like and it's loosely hanging. It's like all the things you think of as a perfect description of men in black, except it's female. And she's standing at the door and my wife fancies the door and she says, uh, uh, can I help you? And she says, I, I I want, she pulled out a book, just like like a Bible, but it wasn't the Bible. That was the odd thing. It looked like, it was, but it was a book, and she held it out like that. And she says, "I want to tell you about about Jesus." And she's like, "Oh well, you know, I don't really need to hear that." And she says, "Jesus lives on the moon. Jesus lives in a colony on the moon." And she started telling this whole whole story about Jesus being on the moon. And my wife is like. Um, excuse me, just a minute. <laughs> and she closes the and she and she closes the door. And when she comes back, of course, the woman is gone. I mean, minutes later, she's just gone, and and there's no car out there. There's nothing. So that, I mean, to, when she told me this story, I'm like, well, that's a classic Men in Black encounter right there. I mean, the, the, down to the the details of, of being very pale, being very thin, wearing a black suit, talking about some crazy stuff that that you know, Jesus on the moon, and. So the thing is that that really did happen. That's like Thor coming to your door and telling yeah. you that you're the prophet. This 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 woman in black came to the door and talked to my wife and told her this thing. And my resp my response to that for me was, I don't need an explanation for that. You know, it, I'll I'll just go with with this strange thing happened because, okay, because here's my 
my working theory on all this, and, and, and it's, it's panned out pretty well over the years, is that all of these kinds of events, these, these, these anomalous events, these things that shouldn't happen and yet they do, are like doorways into another realm. They're like windows into how things really are, as opposed to the way we suppose they are all the time. You know, it's, 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 the world is not what you see is what you get. But most of the time, that's the way we treat the world. We, we, we get from the world what we expect. So when these, so most of the time we can sleepwalk through life and, and things are just what they always are. Every day is the same. But then when something really anomalous happens, you got to not, try, if you try to find an answer to it, if you, if you, if you fit it into an explanation, uh, then you've already lost it. If I'd said, oh, well, that's a man in black and therefore there's, there's saucers in the area and, the, and they, they don't want us to talk about it or whatever, then I would have, I would have explained it away and, and it would no longer have been mysterious and, and therefore it would have no longer, it would have not been outside the dream. It would have just been part of the dream of life at that point, the, the expectations just conforming to themselves. That's, the kind, that's more the kind of experiences that have had these, these little things where you, if you train yourself to let them be what they are, they they become windows into another reality. So, like the idea, I guess, being at a at a at a base level is like don't immediately assume that what you saw is what you think it is, because in all likelihood, it may not be. Don't put it in a box. Right. Let it let it be what it is. You know, because it's just like a person. If you let another person be who they are, you can have a relationship with them. If you if you decide they have to be a certain way and they have to behave a certain way and think a certain way, you're not having a relationship with them anymore. You're having a relationship with yourself, and and so step back. You know, I'll give you another example, a very small one that that happened more recently, um, just even in the last six months or so. Um, okay, this this is just a, a, an odd story, and I, I have no explanation for it. So I, I I work in a different town than the one I live in. So I drive I drive 25 miles. A commute to work 25 miles so i don't actually spend much time in this other town other than where i work so except for every other week when i get paid i drive to the bank and i drive down the same street every time it's a residential street it's 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 in a more well-to-do part of the town so there's a lot of big victorians and things it's a really pretty street and and so that's really the only part of that town that i that i experience so i know but i know that street pretty well because i drive up and down it every other week right so uh, sometime in the spring, I was driving down this, I was driving down this street, heading for the bank. And I noticed on my left, this amazing Victorian house. And I really, I really like Victorian architecture and old Victorian houses. And, and I look at it and it looked brand new. That was the thing. It was a two and a half story Victorian house. It looked brand new. And it was, it was this dark color of a sort of an eggplant. It was a really strange color, a dark purplish blackish eggplant color and it was it was just beautiful and i was and i noticed it of course you know i paid attention to it i slowed down i drove by i said that's a gorgeous house they've done such a good job on that house because i presume they didn't build a, a victorian in two weeks i figured they i hadn't noticed it because it was probably run down and they renovated it they painted it i thought wow that's really great and so i went to the bank did my thing came back two weeks later two weeks later um i'm driving up that street heading to the bank and that house isn't there it's literally not there that house is not on the street, and and I thought, well, these are my options. You know, either they 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 tore it down, and yet there's still no debris. Two weeks later, there would still be you know a dumpster there at least, uh, and there's no vacant lots. And I was like, so this house is gone, um, or I, I started thought of other explanations. That well, you know, maybe I was hallucinating, possible, 
wouldn't be the first time, <laughs> but I wasn't on it. I wasn't on anything. Um, and, and, uh, I thought, well, maybe there was some kind of a strange time dysfunction or something. These are the kind of things that I think about. I thought, well, maybe I was seeing through time and I was seeing that uh, a dilapidated house the way it was in like 1880 or something like that. And I thought, you know, that's what I'm speculating at that point, but I didn't want to settle on that either. So I just let it go. Well, like two weeks after that, I'm going to the bank on the same street. I drive there and I'm coming back from the bank. And on the other side of the street from where that, that Victorian house was, I see this house. It's, it's a, it's just, it's a, a nice house. It's not a Victorian. It's, it's more modern. It's probably built in the fifties or the sixties in that range, but it's got this really cool half sort of a semicircle, this big protruding semicircle sunroom that's, that's sticking out into the backyard. And it looks like, like half a flying saucer sitting out there. And I'm, I'm like, that is the coolest thing. I mean, it's, it's really striking, just like the Victorian was. It's really striking. Um, so I drive slowly by it and I look at it and I say, you know, how can I've gone up and down the street so many times and never noticed that? And so I'm thinking about the, the Victorian. I'm thinking, well, maybe I just am not paying attention to things. Um, so I, I store that away in my memory. Well, the, the very next two weeks later, when I'm driving up that street, headed for the bank and driving back from the bank, going the other direction, that architectural feature isn't there. It's gone. That that's that half circle sunroom, it's big. What well, is just gone? There's still houses there. There's there's still, you know, 50s mid-century houses there, but that that thing is gone. And I'm like, okay, to have it happen once, I could say hallucination. To have it happen twice in a matter of two weeks, and to have something very it's different in that they're different houses, but it's the same in that they're they're sort of visionary happenings of houses and and so so you start looking at that and you say well i can come up with an explanation if, if i was uncomfortable with uncertainty i would scramble for an explanation even if i had to start you know taking antidepressants or something <laughs> i would be like i mean hey you know there's something wrong with me no i, I think the, the the right approach to that sort of experience is to just let it be what it is I'm like okay this is, if, if nothing else, the, I guess more than anything, the sensation that I got from it, especially after the second time, is that the universe is winking at me. It's just, it's just saying, ha ha, uh, you know, <laughs> and that's enough. And that's enough because I walk through my, I walk, sleepwalk through my life like everybody else. And, and I go to my job and I do my job and I come home and I do this but once in a while, the universe just has to jump out and say, what you see is not what you get. Yeah. You know, don't, don't. Don't be asleep. Wake up a little bit here, you know. And and so those kind of things have happened to me in many different ways over the course of my 58 years. And and it changes the way that you just it changes the way you walk through your day. And I've always because I grew up in the 70s and, and think about the of the way I grew up, I guess, I think of this as a spirituality. Um, but it isn't different from paranormality. It, it it's the same thing. It's just it's just different relationship to it maybe um but it's really it's just the same thing looking through two different lenses it's fascinating and very in the story that you just told about the street very reminiscent of the whitley streber story where he randomly ended up in some other other street with that was in breakthrough right yep and it's also very reminiscent of a story that john tenney tells mm -hmm. uh, of a diner that he ate at several nights at a con 
that when he then when he tried to take people to the diner, it wasn't there. He ate at twice. He was just right. uh, he was just there at Belvoir. I think that happens a lot. It, it happens more than most people would admit to. And, and the fact that we don't talk to each other, we all just assume we're the only ones this sort of thing is happening to. And it's not. Strange things happen to people all the time. And yeah. everybody thinks they're the only ones, so they don't talk about it. And it maintains the illusion that they don't happen. Yeah. We need to normalize weird shit. I, Absolutely. That's a bumper sticker right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you for that answer, Jack. Um, we, we do have a couple questions we want to ask you next about sure. specifically, uh, could all religions be true? Is that's the book we covered for our show? Sure. You've been studying various religions of the world for decades. In that time, have you ever found yourself running up against certain cultural barriers that kind of impeded your ability to study specific traditions? I'm thinking things like Shinto, Shinto and voodoo that are tend that tend to be very ethnically based and tend to be a little wary of talking to quote unquote outsiders. Well, when I, I'll say this, when I, when I was studying, when I really was studying, like looking at voodoo and I was looking at Shinto and these things, I was much younger and nobody really was talking about cultural appropriation and things like that then. And, and so I'll say two things about it. One is, is that, that, yeah, I, I probably did run into them and I was probably just an insensitive white guy and paid no attention to those barriers and probably, probably did a lot of damage. I don't know. Um, but I was younger then, and I'm and I'm older now, and I'm much more mature than I was in my twenties. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I would, but I would also say that that the vast majority of my study of religions has been academic rather than interactive. You know, I mean, I've, I've yeah. never attempted to be a Vudan. I've never attempted to to practice Shinto, um, even even Buddhism. I mean, which which has been so appropriated that that it's pretty much. I mean, there is American Buddhism, which is its own breed. Yep. I've really studied. I've studied a lot of of Buddhism, but I call it being an armchair Buddhist because I've only read a lot of books. I've never called myself a Buddhist. I've never never tried to. I've never gone to a Buddhist. Well, I've actually, I've gone to Buddhist temples, but I've never gone to one as a practitioner. I've just gone as an, an a a student. Um, so, yeah. For the answer, I guess the answer to your question is yeah. There's probably been barriers, and yeah, I probably just blew right past them, and I was you know. <laughs> The standard kind of of white dick that you see in the world. <laughs> I've 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 been that I've been that many many times with with Shinto in particular. I've been that a couple of times. I get it. It it happens. Um, the second question is a bit heavier, but uh, and much more hypothetical. You speak of religious experiences as all deriving from a godhead, which manifests to us in forms that we're most willing or most able to engage with. How does this gel with the religious experiences of people like William Dudley Pelly, who ended up, you know, using his experiences to motivate him to found a white supremacist organization that later gave birth to American neo-Nazism? Um, essentially, does does that evil come from the godhead or does that is that all self-generated from within the person well you can look at it in a couple of ways honestly the the my first reaction would be to say that that because like pelly in particular um that it's that's a pretty good example of what we said before about about woody derenberger puffing up as a prophet and, and and taking his little experience and turning it into his own uh brand of of revelation 
And I think people do that all the time. And I think that that Pelly in particular was a white supremacist Nazi before he had occult experiences. Um, and so that that shouldn't be surprising that 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 he turned his experiences in that direction. You can say a lot of similar things about Aleister Crowley. Yeah. So yeah, so so the or Crowley, as people say, depending on who you want to ask on these podcasts. I've always said Crowley because I read it before I heard it said. Um but I think, but I think there's also a legitimate argument to be made that uh, a actual godhead that is that is everything, everywhere, all at once um, would have to include evil too, wouldn't it? Um, so there's that as well, because uh, and even that in the Old Testament, a lot of a lot of Christians in particular um, disregard all of the uncomfortable passages in the Bible. And that's one of the the big things in the in the Old Testament, you know, to say I, where God says, "I am I am the creator of all, I'm the creator of good and the creator of evil," you know, and and so they they pass right on by that because nobody wants to talk about that. But but it's there's that too. So if I don't, I'm not personally a strong believer in the idea of of dualism of that there's a God out there and there's creation over here. Um, I think that's just a way of of sorting out our own experience but in fact there's only one thing going on um so whatever you're talking about you're talking about god even if, if you're talking about all of us as well and you're talking about the animals and you're talking about the stars and whatever it's all part of one big thing um, and so for that reason like you look at a william pelly and you look at white supremacism and you look at the at the evils that go on in the world um that would not be that would not be possible unless that was also part of the part of the bigger plan, and and uh, the plan is the wrong word. I don't want to I don't want to sound like a fundamentalist. So if if it's it happens because it's possible, it's possible because that's how it how reality works. Um, you know, stars explode, things like that happen. You know, and like in the Catholic Church, for example, they they uh, distinguish between um, moral evil and natural evil. Well, they, and they they they, they talk about natural evil is like earthquakes that kill a lot of people and and uh, diseases and things and i'm and to my thought it's like that's not evil that's nature and and yeah that just you know it it's a one of the one of the mistakes people make probably one of the biggest mistakes people make in in life in general but which i consider a spiritual question um is people sort the world and sort their experience into things they like and things they don't like and the things they like, they call good, and the things they don't like, they call evil. And and so you're constantly making uh, moral and ethical judgments about the behavior of other people, about things as random as earthquakes, things happening. And based on you're saying, oh, that's that's good, oh, that's evil, but you're basing it on what you like and what you don't like. Personally, I don't like Nazis, so yeah, Pelle was a was kind of an issue. But uh, I also recognize that that's my my take on it, you know, and that 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 objectively, whatever whatever exists objectively, if anything does, um, nobody's asking my opinion, you know. <laughs> so so that, that and it's important to stand back from things that way. I think, you know, to at least recognize that you're sorting the world into things you like and you don't like, um, so that when it comes to when when a uh, something happens. Like, you, know, you can take an ex take examples like Pelly, and you can take examples like Trump, and you can take examples like like all of things that are going on that are obvious, in my opinion, evil. Um, you know, and that's all true. But 
the things that actually are going to make a difference in your individual spiritual path, for example, are going to be the things in, in, are going to be the things that happen in small moments. So it's these are big picture things, but then when when I encounter one individual person, you know, I have to I have to remove my likes and my dislikes from the, my judgment of them. I mean, that's, that's that whole, you know, judgment is mine, say it the Lord thing, you know, that, that I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm going to step back from that. I, I can't, if, if I look at someone's behavior, an actual person in my presence, and, uh, and I say that person is, is evil, um, I'm doing, it's, I'm doing some damage to that person and to myself. You know, I have, I have to, I have some responsibility to, to, maintain a relationship of some kind in that moment and uh, try to understand what's actually happening here as opposed to my opinions about it, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. I I actually, I really, really, really like that. And there's something that I say a lot. Usually I say it when I'm having a political debate with somebody when they'll, they tell, usually it's over something like, uh, like LGBTQ rights or something like that. And then they'll, you know, they'll say their opinion and my response to it is always based on whose standards are you saying this is X, Y, Z. And I I like that because it almost, it works both ways. Like I'm arguing this point, but based on whose standards. And I I think that's a really good thing that it's like, you got to take a step back and almost look at it from every point of view while you're having this conversation, because we don't, you don't know, you don't know where, we don't know where they're coming from. They don't know where I'm coming from. And everything that we're talking about is based on uh, based on human standards, one way or the other. Well, and one of the, one of the most dangerous things in our time right now is that there there is a ridiculous number of people in America right now who think they know God's opinion right. about all of this stuff, and that's like, wow, people, wake up, <laughs> step back, because that's that's just dangerous. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think historically, if you look at the course of human history, whenever we start assuming we know what God wants, that's when things tend to go tits up. Yeah, I think we should go yep. back to work, worshiping golden animals. They never steer us wrong. <laughs> All right. So uh, now the next question is a little out of left field, but that's largely because I kept having it run through my head when I was kind of uh, grappling with the the vision of the universe that you provide in uh, in could all religions be true? Specifically, the idea of this universal godhead that will approach people based off again based off what they are willing to engage with. In your pan spiritual viewpoint, where does the afterlife fall? Now, I know we were talking about ghosts and how most people assume they're the right. souls of the dead. We don't know what they are, but do you prescribe to the existence of an afterlife? And I, I guess, do you have what would be your guess about what that would look like, given the massive amount of interpretations we have in world religion and lore? That's a big question. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, my my understanding or my thought about it, my thought, I don't have any understanding. My my thoughts about the afterlife evolve a lot over time and have evolved since even even putting that little book together. I suspect there is a process in after death that is similar to life and and that what happens to a human being after death is the same thing that happens to everyone after death so so whatever it is it's happened bazillions of times so it can't be that scary so we need to toss out all these ideas of heaven and hell and all of that that if we ex- if we continue to exist individually after 
death. Um, it is probably for a just a short time while some natural processes go through and and you know maybe shake off all of the memories and things from the previous life. I mean, the, the Greeks had the idea of the river, the, I can't think of the river leaf, was it? I believe um, so. You know, the where, river you, where for, you... The river of forgetting. Yeah, where, river of forgetting. That, that prepares you to come back um, because you're not doing yourself any favors by having the memories of your old life when you come back here. So I could definitely see that. A, a reincarnation scenario makes sense to me. But I think there's also a a different way of looking at it. I think where I've evolved more in the present moment Okay, I'll I'll just come out with this. I have, I've been working on a, a, a little side project, and we'll talk about it um, at, at another point or whatever. But um, in particular, I've been thinking about the idea of instead of reincarnation, of of recombination is the word I've come to with it, because in in that view, this is what sort of made sense to me. Because in that view, if if you ever here's here's a little morbidity for you. Have you ever ever watched a dead body decay? <laughs> I've certainly had I've had large animals. I've had I've had sheep and goats. You don't bury those when they die. You just move them to the end of the pasture and let nature take its course. So you get to, mm-hmm. you, you get to see how that how that happens. And nature reduces a physical body down to to bare bones in very short order. In maybe two weeks is about all it takes, especially in the summertime when all the everything everybody's starving and the animals are, are the the bugs mostly the insects mostly tear you apart and the animals take pieces and it all all comes apart until there's really nothing left. And then eventually if you wait uh, you know long enough the bones turn to dirt and then there's no sign there was ever anything there. And so you can see that with with the physical body. But what about the consciousness? What about your conscious what about the part of you that animated your physical body that mm-hmm. that was the consciousness out there? Um, so I, I'm sort of been toying with the idea that that a similar process possibly goes on after death, in which your consciousness gradually decomposes in the same way. And then maybe that's a, a mm. bad word, decomposing, because it, people will immediately gross out on it. But you know, the idea that you just it, you gradually dissipate into the larger consciousness that is happening on this whole planet, and then so then when when that reincarnation happens. It's it's really it's coming back together in in with the physical, so it's it's there's some of you there there's some of the next your next door neighbors in there, you know there's there it's it's the human consciousness that comes together. So really in the end, there's there's some point even when we're alive, there's some point where we are all one consciousness already, you know. And so and so this cycle, I think about it in terms of like the water cycle. You know, you think about water. The same water has been going around and around forever on this planet. It just it just evaporates up into the sky, and then it comes down as rain, and then it turns into rivers, and then it goes into your faucet, and it comes out here, and you pee it out, and it it, it goes down to the to the the it goes it goes somewhere else, and it goes up and around. Mm-hmm. But it's the same it's the same water molecules going around and around. You are made of the same water that dinosaurs were made out of. You know, you that it it's it, it cycles, and I and I kind of think on earth consciousness recycles the same way um this is like i say this is a theory i've got no proof of this but this is sort of what what seems to make sense to me at the moment and i'm thinking that that uh all of all of the personal stuff gradually fades so what is a ghost well if, if a ghost is a dead person um, why isn't the world teeming with ghosts well because a ghost is perhaps only present as that person for a while until they dissipate enough 
that they've joined the whole collective con- unconscious out there, um, the collective consciousness that is beyond, that is not currently in uh, corporate, not uh, not incarnate, and then cycle and cycles back through. But what comes through is not going to be Rory. It's not going to be Jay. You know, it's it's going to be, if anything, from this life, it's going to be whatever you contributed to your content, however you grew your own consciousness right. in such a way that that you contributed something to it. So, I mean, I think I think people being uh, compassionate and kind and 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 open-minded and attempting to to uh, develop themselves spiritually as much as they can. If nothing else, even if you don't become an enlightened Buddha or something, you 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 contribute something to the collective consciousness that is going to, oh, you know, over eons and 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 in large numbers, contribute to future generations that are going to be literally made from you physically. You know, your your atoms are still here; they're still cycling around, um, and also your consciousness. And so you you contribute to it. And 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 why it pains me to see uh, a lot of people, especially right now in the world terrified, angry, full of rage, um, out to hurt others, you know, to take away rights from people, to do whatever, and, and all of that, they're contributing too. When those people die, that's going right into the collective unconscious, and it's going to be, it's going to, so it kind of feeds into the whole idea, the Hindu idea of karma, you know, that, that uh, and maybe on a more collective level than an individual one, but whatever we take with us when we die, uh, we're we're putting it out there. We're contributing it to the whole human species, and that's for good or bad. And maybe that you you've guys several times brought up the concept of the bodhisattva path in in Buddhism, mm-hmm. you know, and and that it's like maybe you have the option of of like becoming an enlightened Buddha and and escaping the wheel of birth and death and not coming back here. Um, but there is there is honor, there is goodness in choosing to to give yourself away, you know, to, 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 on the other side of death, to just, to really work hard when you're alive to bring something positive that you can contribute to the whole environment. So I, I don't have my camera on, so you can't see my hands moving around, but I look like a Southern, Southern backwoods preacher out here going, ah, <laughs> you know, but, but that, that's sort of my current vision of it. I mean, I could probably settle for reincarnation. Um, I'm, I find the concepts of heaven and hell unlikely, um, just, Unlikely. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I feel the same way. I am fascinated by like th- that idea because we it's something that we've talked about on the show is the idea that like society as a whole can't move forward until we raise our collective consciousness, until we as a society like level up, so to speak. And that it, like that plays like a that almost like adds into that in a in a way because it's like well, every, all the people out there that are kind of like having all this backlash towards like trying to give, you know, people rights and, and all this, it's like, they're taking away from anything that's being built by all these other people. It's a, it's, it's uh, like a give and take, so to speak. And I, I mean, because, and you see it even through the years of, of like societal evolution, as people evolve and, and grow, you see society get more and more advanced. Well, it's almost the conception that, uh, so like, you know, the whole idea of we are one, but almost in the idea that as a species, we are a singular entity and maybe right. other species are other entities that are, that are all connected via their shared collective unconscious and right. just kind of goes up level by level throughout everything. 
I think that's absolutely true. And, and, and when you look at just the planet Earth, just this one little blue dot, you know, the pale blue dot in this whole vast universe full of, of how many galaxies they just saw with that new telescope, yeah. new space telescope. I mean, we are, we are this tiny little thing. And yet everything we know is, is this planet, the Earth. And when you look at it and you say, okay, human beings appear to, would appear to have one collective unconscious. Well, so do dogs and so do cats and so do, do cattle and so do grass and, and, and all these things and, and insects. There's all these different collective minds going on and, and, and consciousnesses that are all part of their own individual cycles. But when you zoom out, zoom the camera out and you look at the earth, you say, oh, wait, but these are all aspects of this one big entity here, this big round entity blue that is out in space that that uh is also conscious and that that and so at this point you're you're thinking about you know you think about even like the collective unconscious you talk about carl jung and the collective unconscious you know that that your the unconscious is populated by all kinds of of archetypal figures and entities and things and also your individual unconscious your personal unconscious is 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 uh, populated by your complexes, by these parts of yourself that are split off and you've forgotten. Mm. And so, so you look at the earth and you say, okay, what are, what are all the entities that make up the mind of the earth? Well, you say, well, there's human beings and there, and there's animals and there's land and there's mountains and there's, there's plants. And, and you look at this and you say, okay, what, what does that say that one of these collective entities is essentially at war with all the others? I mean that is the, that is the climate crisis right there. Yeah. One 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 species has decided it's the only one that matters. So it's a lot like your your left hand saying that your right hand doesn't matter and chopping it off. And it's like holy cow. Oh my god, we're a tumor. Ha. Huh. Something like that, you know, but and, and I don't want to be too negative about it. But my thought is that if you if you if you keep zooming that out, you know, and you say okay, the, the human collective unconscious and the, the animal collective unconscious and the whole planet. And then you say, well, why doesn't the solar system and the sun have a collective consciousness and, and, and say well, these things are all related and you keep expanding it out. When you get to the point where everything, everything is one consciousness itself, that's God. Nothing short of that is God. Nothing short of that is, is worthy of that. Uh, what was, what I talked about in the book, you know, the, that, that one, instructor or whatever and 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 so and there's all kinds of entities in between there and you've got all kinds of things to work with and all kinds of fun to have um but don't pick one thing and say that's that's god because you're you're selling yourself short you're selling it all short at that point and most people just pick themselves they say okay i found god me i mean i certainly fell into that So when I was quite young, uh, there was this new age shop that me and my friends frequented. Uh, and one of the things it was selling was a build your own goddess kit that was basically like, hey, are you trying to get into devotional witchcraft and none of these established deities are calling out to you and eh, just fucking build your own. Who gives a shit? Like it was this it was like this little cloth doll and with little supplies to make it look like whatever you wanted. And I am dying to know your take on that. <laughs> Wow. Well, that's interesting. My, my first thought was that it's like cafeteria Catholicism, you know, where you just you pick the <laughs> things you like and uh, disregard the rest. But getting your religion a la Christ. It was a new age <laughs> shop aimed at teenagers. So, yeah. yeah. But but by the same token, I would say that's, that there's a way that's kind of a cool idea, too, because 
I mean, realistically, almost everyone who actually took it seriously, which will be one in a thousand people who didn't, most people would just see it as a novelty and enjoy it for what it is. But somebody who took it seriously would end up projecting their own uh, complexes and their own unconscious material onto it. So they, they would at least discover more about themselves in that process, most likely, mm -hmm. um, until it ended. Until it got a knife and started chasing you around the house, that would be a problem. But yeah, if it goes straight uh, Chucky on you, what goddess did yeah. you create? I was going through a dark period in my the, life. This is Cassie, the yeah. goddess of murder. Oh, my yeah. God. So, so, but I think it's kind of a cool idea, and I do think that that I mean, when you get into some of the more fringy uh, uh, spiritual things, like the Church of the Subgenius and things like that, they, they definitely have this concept of of create your own god and and. Mm -hmm. You know, short duration personal saviors and things like that that are, are very, they're tongue in cheek, but they also, Discordianism is another good example of a, a, a religion largely based on humor that uh, has real effects for people. And and people like the, I don't know if you're familiar with Robert Anton Wilson, the, the science fiction writer, um, but he was in, he was involved in the creation of Discordianism and that. And it was, it was really literally invented as a joke. And yet he discovered that all kinds of strange paranormal things were happening because you get back into that that uh, space in which the phenomenon, just like the Godhead is uh, the way it described it in, in this in this book, um, but really the phenomenon in general works with where works with you where you are. It works with what's in your head. It works mm -hmm. with your expectations um, and toys with you and and reveals itself to you in ways that you can handle. Sometimes pushes you beyond the edge just to see what will happen. Um, so that, that's kind of the same thing. So thank you. That was fascinating. Um, so one of the first things we ever learned about you was that you write under a huge number of pen names uh, and you have way more books under your belt than is immediately visible when looking online. So can you walk us through the names you've gone by and why you decided to produce so much work under aliases? It, you know, I'll, I'll share, I'll share some of them, not all of them, but some of them. And, in the. uh, there's there's no great magic thing here. It's not like like you know my this is my magical name. Actually, a lot of this stuff is pretty pretty silly. But I'm a very practical person. I said, okay, so my very first book that I published, which is is actually the simplest path to personal planetary awakening, free your mind. I originally published it in 2006 under the pseudonym Vincent Caspriano Jr. Now that's a weird name. Where'd that come from? Well. I, at that point in my life, I was I was uh, arrogant enough to think of my books would be in bookstores someday, um, as opposed to self-published things, which never actually show up in brick-and-mortar bookstores. But I was very, and I all really most of my life, I've been very in, in one one of the most profound uh, spiritualities that that has been with me my whole time is is the books of Carlos Castaneda and, and the idea of Toltec shamanism. Mm -hmm. um, and people have lots of opinions about that. And I have opinions about that. And, and we won't necessarily have to go diving into that. Um, but my arrogant thought when I said, my, I've got my own spiritual book here and I want it to be as close to Castaneda's books on the shelves as I can. I thought, well, Castaneda, C-A-S-T, how could I come up with a name like that? And I said, okay, I came up with Caspiano. I don't know where that came from because it's not even a real name. No one, no one in the world has that name. Um, but I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to put two S's in it because that's as close to ST as you can get. He'll, he'll be, I'll be right next to Castaneda. Um, and then, then I, I thought about it and then I said, well, nobody has that name. I Googled it, you know, and I'm like, nobody has that name. And I thought nobody's going to believe that's a real name. So I made it Vincent Caspiano Jr., because that implies there's at least two of us. 
So, so that's the kind <laughs> of kind of subterfuge that I that I uh, had. So then, then my flying saucer book, uh, when that came out, the the uh, golden age of flying saucers, I published that under Frank G. Wilkinson. Now, this this is a, a fun synchronicity. I published under Frank G. Wilkinson. Honest to gosh, because uh, I thought Frank sounded like a good solid 1950s guy name. And and I just and the rest of it I just wanted to sound like G Willikers because it did <laughs> Frank G Willikers, and it was because it's that kind of a book. It's it's a, probably the most one of the most fun books I've I've, ri- I've written certainly. Um, it's a good time, and uh, I wanted it to be that way. And then here's this weird synchronicity. I found out much later, uh, just by googling it, that there actually is a famous Frank G Wilkinson, and he is the guy who invented Velcro. Huh. I thought that was odd. And and one of the stories that goes around in in the UFO world is that Velcro is one of the the first technologies that was uh, back engineered from the Roswell crash. Right. And I've always heard that they even referenced that in the Men in Black films. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, and I I did not I didn't know who invented Velcro. I knew that story about Velcro, but I ended up choosing the pseudonym of the guy who invented Velcro. What a, what a strange, writing a book about UFOs, flying saucers. How, how strange is that? That is so funny. And I'm sure you've can, I'm sure you've confused people making that, uh, making that, uh, that, that theory run, run even more wild. <laughs> oh yeah. They probably, they probably think I did it on purpose and that I, oh, I must have this, this true secret of the UFOs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've written under the name Lawrence W. Dolnick. Good story on that. Um, that I don't know if Dolnik is an actual name or not. I, I just made that up one day for no apparent reason. Um, all, pretty much everything I've written about Buddhism is under that name because I sort of invented the concept of a Buddhist, of an American scholar of Buddhism, uh, which I've always sort of halfway been, but not really. So I, I figured another name would make it pretty, would more be more convincing. Um, but the funny story on this, see, I'm, I'm a self-published author. So, so, you know, you know, I don't know. I don't want to break Nick's heart if he ever becomes a self-published author, but the, the, the real truth about self-published authors is that you write a lot of books and you don't sell a lot of books. That's just the reality of it. Yeah. Um, so one of the first books I published, I, I started doing this when eBooks were new and, and Kindle didn't even exist yet and stuff. So I, I was, I was getting into the technology of how to publish, how to self-publish, um, right at the very beginning of it, teaching myself the technology of how to do this. It was a lot harder than it's much easier now. Um, but one of the first things I ever published, uh, and I did it, published it under the name Lawrence W. Dolnick. It was a, a, a little, I write a lot of small books and that's because of the world of eBooks. Uh, you know, you can write short things and call them books in the eBook world. Well, actually this, this book sitting quietly doing nothing, meditation as medication for the mind. Is a little book that I wrote that is actually a seven-page paper that I wrote for Buddhism class in college back in like 1992. Hmm. It, it huh. was just it was just a it was like the one paper I wrote for this class on introduction to Buddhism, and it got an A, and I always liked it. So when I was was just fooling around trying to figure out how to publish uh, eBooks, how to how to do that and get those onto Amazon and get those out there in the world, um, I just put that out there as a 99 cent eBook. I have sold thousands of copies of that. And, huh. and and I've never had I've had very few people leave uh, reviews on it and say I hate this book because it's short because it's only ninety nine cents. Come on, give me a break, you know. But that's probably my best seller out of everything that I've written. All these I've written I've written and published twenty four books under different pseudonyms, and and that's like the top seller by far. Now I've only made like thirty five cents every time it sells, but you know that's that's still not bad. It's yeah. not bad. Um, I also have a couple of, of Buddhist books under the name Harold Zoe. 
um, which I just liked the sound of the name of that. Um, I, uh, he's, I've got a book called Zoe Zen, which is just, I've got a lot of books that are essays, series of essays, because I write essays in other contexts and then I put them together in books. Um, and Zoe Zen is like a, a, a little book of essays on, on being a Zen Buddhist in a Missouri small town, <laughs> which I wasn't, but I was in fantasy world. I was so, so, and I, and I would say armchair Buddhism. I was studying that. Okay. Another, another name to throw out there is Felix Whalen. Now, Felix Whalen was my Catholic name. I, I've, I've converted, I've converted to Catholicism twice in my life and learned a lot of, of important lessons both ways, both times, I should say. Um, the first time was very much out of a, a set of paranormal mystical experiences um, that all happened around that big download experience I was I was talking about. It, it sort of fed out of that. And then, you know, you 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 go out there and you think that that the Catholic Church is going to be like the nest of Gnosticism for the world. And then you find out that it's all donuts in the basement and you're like, holy cow. It's <laughs> yeah. um, away from that. And then I got sucked back into it and I should, I should have known better at the time, but I, but I got, I, I violated all of my own principles and got sucked back into it just by listening to a radio station, a Catholic radio station that programmed my mind. And I let it do that, but I eventually got away from that as well. Um, but you get lessons out of it. It's not a bad experience if you, if you got important lessons out of it. Um, but when I was when I last time I was a practicing Catholic, I started writing things under the name Felix Whalen. I actually I wrote essays for a Catholic website, um, mm. and uh, Felix Whalen. Now that, that we're on the name of the pseudonym, Felix is Greek for happy, and Whalen is Welsh for joy. So my idea was that that Felix Whalen was an incantation for for happy joy. Because that's what I wanted in my life at the time, and I was trying to sort of channel that in. I do a lot of little superstitious spells like that, in, in, in when it comes to things like names. Um, but I published. You can't see the. I don't have my camera on. But I was going to hold it up. I wrote a novel um, while as Felix Whalen called called Children of the Good, which I think is awesome. It's an amazing novel. Five people in the world have read it, and it's free. I, I eventually just gave it away free, and and it's it's out there. Um, I, I've got links on my website to it. You can read it. It's actually on my website. You can read it for free, or you can, there's links there. To, if you'd rather have an ebook, you can download the ebook. Um, I think I already did download the ebook for that because I was reading the title oh, and like the I was reading the description. I was like, "This is fucking awesome!" Like, but uh, Mary, I mean, that makes sense for me. Mother Mary is literally one of only two things I actually kept when I uh, when I shed my culturally Catholic trappings. Like, so, of there course, of course, I was drawn to Children of the Good. What fascinates me about your use of pseudonyms is it's actually uh, pretty close to a something that some people who practice chaos magic have done yeah. uh, specifically regarding like, for example, uh, Grant Morrison, uh, the comic book artist. He released a series called The Invisibles, which is kind of like about occult superheroes. It's awesome. But um, besides that, though, in that story, he included a character named King Mob and who is Grant Morrison. That was kind of his uh, stand-in character for himself, and the whole idea was that the entire series of The Invisibles was really a grand magical working where he was trying to kind of change his own nature and th change things in his life by ha making things happen to King Mob. And, of course, he has a story about how it almost killed him because he, right when he, King Mob, the, right when the book got released that King Mob was uh, struck down and was on his deathbed, Grant Morrison was struck down with an unnamed illness and almost died. Uh, but so I just find that very interesting. It's, it's very, uh, similar. You're kind of creating that correspondence. Mm. 
Uh, absolutely, and intentionally, you know, and and that's and and in general, I guess the the root cause of having all these pseudonyms, of having pseudonyms at all, is that. I don't personally ever want to be famous. I, I that's one thing I absolutely do not want. I, I wouldn't mind getting rich from this. That would be awesome. But <laughs> I, I, I have no illusions about fame, and and, and f- I wouldn't want that. And and I, I mean, if you saw me walking down the street, you'd be like, you wouldn't even notice me. I'm just a person, you know. And that's exactly where I want to be because uh, if you're, I don't I, that whole thing of being the puffed up prophet of anything, and, and it's really. Writers and other kinds of artists are are very susceptible to that, mm-hmm. you know, to saying, ah, you know, because I because my book is popular and whatever, I'm it, it's me because I'm important. It's like, no, actually, you're just channeling all these ideas that are coming out of the universe. You know, they just descend from the idea cloud, and if you're lucky, you you catch them and you put them out into the world. But but don't let it make you think very highly of yourself because that's not it's not necessary to do that. And you just stand in your own way. And and so I've I've, I've known all my life I did not want to be famous, but I also knew that I needed to write about things. I needed to get ideas into the world, whether it was in nonfiction or whether it was in fiction. Um, so that that's that's just something that 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 is important to me. So I've 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 picked a lot of different pseudonyms in part because a lot, while a lot of the things I write about are are related, they're not identical. And then and having one person write things that are different from one another just confuse people, just confuse readers. So why do that? Mm. And and Jack Preston King, let's talk about that as a pseudonym because obviously Jack Preston King is also a pseudonym. Um, and when I came up with that pseudonym, I, pu- I had just published my short story. I have a short story book called A World in Edgewise. Um, with, and it's science fiction. It's kind of dark science fiction stories that I wrote all mostly in my 20s. Um, and at that time when I published that, I thought, I want this book to sit on the bookshelf in the bookstore next to Stephen King. So how can I get close to that? There you so, go. so I just, I came up with King and then I just started playing with it. And I think Jack Preston, actually, I just, I randomly opened a telephone book um, and just grabbed the first mail name that came there. And then there it was Jack Preston and then King is that I never got into a bookstore, but you know, whatever that's, that's all good. You can, you can order my stuff at bookstores just through, through Amazon and that, but and, and finally, the other one I wanted to put out there, because it connects to a lot of these other things, is uh, I, I went through a period, because I know Rory's been talking about this, I went through a period of about a year where I was was toying with, with audiobook narration, mm. and I built a, a small home studio, and I, I did, I, I recorded several books. I've got, like, I think maybe three books on audible.com, um, and... So I recorded those books using the, narr- the name Oliver Vale. That's also a pseudonym. My narrator is also a pseudonym. Um, and Oliver Vale is a character from one of my favorite science fiction books. Um, uh, Buddy Holly is Alive and Well on Ganymede by Bradley Denton. That's one I read it, I've read it 10 times and I love this book. Um, so uh, I just picked that up. And, and so I recorded my own books, Frank G. Wilkinson, using my pseudonym Oliver Vale. Uh-huh. And it's out there on Audible. So it's a, a triple threat. And so as Frank G. Wilkinson, I actually have two books. And that's The Golden Age of Flying Saucers and also another collection of essays um, that I put together. I put them both together on because they're both short books. If you notice, I write short books. Um, I, I take I take collections of essays and put them together is mostly what I do. And those tend to be short books because you, you got to keep them thematically uh, together. Um, and and so I did put those two on a book on uh the Golden Age of Flying Saucers is a, a paranormal twofer on Audible. You know, it's both books on one recording for five ninety nine or whatever they charge for three hour audiobooks. Um, 
So that's out there. But I'm actually all, all of those. I'm, I'm the writer and the narrator. But I just keep all of my pseudonyms separate. It's so funny head. that you uh, narrated your own audiobooks, but under a different name, too. <laughs> yeah, it was I, fun. I love it. But yeah, no, I've been toying with doing that, too. I, I feel like I have the voice for it. My problem is that I'm, I'm not. I'm not great at doing like the uh, the different voices. I have to practice a whole bunch. Think think about starting with nonfiction. That's what yeah. I, that's what I that's yeah, what I think absolutely. I want to do is nonfiction anyway. Yes, pick up some some stuff in the paranormal world. I mean, I, I think you yeah. do have the voice for it. You obviously have the technical skills for yeah. it. Well, I mean, I, I I do have all this equipment. Right? Yeah, the show <laughs> would not exist if Rory didn't know what they were doing because uh, Lord fair. knows Jay and I don't. I refuse to learn. I tell you the the thing that, that the reason I stopped is just because it was it was so lonely. It's such a lonely <laughs> job to do. I, I could not take it. I, I would I, you know my it's the weekend and my my family is out doing things and having fun and I'm locked myself in this closet for for nine hours, <laughs> ten hours. Yeah, I, I'm thinking, and, and I couldn't do it. So I just took my little studio down and and moved on because I couldn't do it. No, it's a, even just doing the work for our show. It is, I'm down here by myself for eight, nine hours editing the show sometimes, but you know, it's worth, it's worth it at the end of the day, at least to me right now, it's worth it. All right. Well, uh, that was very enlightening. And so moving into our, our last question, this one should be one that's familiar to you and it's the easiest one. What's next for Jack and where can people find your work? I know you mentioned a side project. If you wanted to talk about it, this would be the time. Okay, well, uh, everybody can find me at jackpressonking.com. It's not hard to find. Just remember the name and put a .com after it. And it'll be in the show notes. Yeah, everything everything centers there because um, I'm paying for the website. So by God, I'm going to put everything there. <laughs> um, the, the, the things you can find free there, the Children of the Good is free there. Um, and it also has links to, you can read it on the website or you can uh, go off and, and get eBooks uh, on Apple Books or on Smashwords. Uh, so you can read it on your own, whatever device you choose. Um, I've got, oh, let's see, there's lots of blog, blog posts on there, um, including a, a series of riffing off of uh, neuroscientist Lisa Feldman Barrett's book, How Emotions Are Made, um, which was a really big deal a few years ago. And, and if anybody's interested in that, it really gets into the whole world of consciousness and perception and, and trying to figure out what's real and what's not. Um, but I, I would have put that into a, an ebook. Just there's like six essays, seven essays in the series. I would have put that together, but I, with all of them packed together, they quoted so much of her book that I felt like I needed to get permission from the from the publisher. So I, I tried to contact the publisher, and they were like, "Oh no, you'll have to contact her directly. We can't give you that. We we don't know about it. She owns the rights." So I tried to contact her, and her people contact wrote back and said, "You'll have to talk to the publisher." Oh, geez. and I'm like. I'm like, okay, I'll just put it on my website because one, you know, you can use up to 300 words of something in one essay and, and you're in that, that, you know, you're, you're legal to do that. Um, so the, that's out there and lots of other blog posts there as well. And I've also got about at this point, a little over 70 book reviews that I've been, that's sort of how I've kept myself busy writing everything I read. I write a review for it. And most of what I read is in this, in this realm it's it's either in the realm of of spirituality or in the realm of of fringe science i really like a lot um in the realm of of uh psychedelic culture is mm -hmm. a big one in my world um, so so there's a lot of the science fiction i read a lot of science fiction um so it's a it's a place where people who think like we think will be right at home 
Um, yeah. So that's there's there's that. Um, the the project that I'm working on. Okay, I, I talked about this download experience in 1988, and and that I wrote a book about it, or a book that that sort of, uh, in my opinion, surfaced from that. The ideas in that book, I would not think are, I would not say are original to me. I would say that that uh, they sort of bubbled up into my head at a certain point, and I needed to write a book about it, um, and so I did. And then that, that went away for for so to, that was the book was published in 2006, and and I just really just continued to live my life. Well, sometime last year. I, I was sitting at my office job. I, you know, I, I manage an office. I just, I was just sitting at my desk, and I started having this compulsion to draw a picture. And I, you know, I've, I'm, I've been doing this long enough to know that I'm not going to think, "What's that all about?" That's just crazy. I'm just like, "Well, go with it." I'm not an artist. I don't draw. I don't know how to do that. So I got into just PowerPoint and started messing with shapes and things, and I started creating this series of images of, of uh, diagrams. And I sat with, I, I let the, I, I brought them home. I, I don't have my camera on. I'd show them to you. They're on my wall. You know, I, I brought them home and I started building a wall, you know, like you do with a serial killer, you know, with strings <laughs> and things. And, 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 and I just, I just lived with it. And I said, I'm not going to, I'm not going to decide what these mean. I don't know why this is happening, but they kept coming one after the other. Every, every couple of days, I'd be like, oh, I have to, I have to make this other design. Um, and so I put them on my wall. And then one day about May of this year, I think it was maybe this year. It might have been a little earlier. Um, might have been last year. Oh my gosh, I can't even remember. I can't keep track of time. But anyway, um, I just woke up and I thought, okay, it's time to write about this. And so I sat down and I started writing the ideas that these images contained. And again, it's 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 very much like the first book where I I it's definitely me writing it. I wasn't channeling or anything like that. Um, but I knew I was recording information that was coming from somewhere else. And, and that somewhere else was probably somewhere back in the back of my brain from that download experience, you know, the information that got stored there that I just wasn't, didn't have access to. Um, and so I uh, wrote a big, the, the big long piece is called the basic structure of everything. And it, and it really breaks all of this down into, into how consciousness makes reality and how, all of this works and 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 what's possible for a human being within that then and and gets into some stuff about the afterlife and and all of that and i wrote this one long piece and then i started finding my i started writing little side pieces little things attached to it because i read something i'm like well that's what makes me think of this and i and i write little essays and things that go with it and so i decided that this has to go somewhere i'm not interested in selling this to anyone so I, I just put it on a, a, a WordPress blog. I just built a thing called uh, my down my down my cosmic download.wordpress.com. And that's all out there. And and I add to it periodically. Every few months, I'll just come up with something else to pop on there. Um, and you can also find it on my website, jackpressandking.com. There's a link over to the WordPress site. If no one can remember my cosmic download.wordpress.com, it'll get you there. Um, and I I find it super interesting because I would say that it is it's a distillation of, of what I, what, what the concepts I'm working with now, as opposed to the concepts I was working with in 2019, when I published, um, could all religions be true? And they're all very close and they're related, but it gets, it gets more and more refined and new ideas bubble in because I do think that, that I've got this, like this, this cachet of information <laughs> that, was was like dropped into my head in 1988 that I've never never really tapped. I've never never fully tapped. 
you know, and, and there's always new things. And, and it, what it has helped me, what, where that experience changed my life more than anything is that it, 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 like from that time forward, I stopped searching for something outside. I, I stopped looking for the book that would explain to me how, the, how things worked. I stopped looking for a religion I could follow. I stopped looking for a guru. I stopped looking for any of that because I had this, this thing that I could, I could look at things and I could say, oh, that works, that doesn't. This fits, that doesn't. And, and it's like an inner compass. Um, and even though I don't, never had the details about it, I, could, I still had this inner compass and I've been attempting to steer my interests and my my studies and my life with that inner compass and i and i think this is like at least the latest iteration of it this is the kind of thing that comes out and i look at it and i'm like it's a little bit boring but it's it's kind of spot on as well yeah, yeah. and there and there's a section on the whole concept of of uh, forget reincarnation uh and, and working with the idea of of coming back together and all that that i was discussing earlier that's all in there so that's that's a project that it's free. Everybody can learn. I, I do have that that autobiography, which is actually just the autobiography of the first twenty five years of my fifty eight years on Earth, because uh, just it's it's the it's the it's a little autobiography I wrote just leading up to that experience in nineteen nineteen eighty eight, and and a little bit of the aftermath of that. And it's called Autobiography of an Earthling, and it is free on Apple Books. It is free on Smashwords, and it's ninety nine cents on Amazon because. Fuck Amazon. That that's how they. <laughs> they that, I've tried a hundred ways to make that a free book on Amazon, you know, because and they won't. They just won't do it. They will not do it. So it's ninety nine cents there. If you really want to throw ninety nine cents my way, you can there. But I think people, if people understand me, that's a great place to start. Is that free autobiography? It's called Autobiography of an Earthling: My Funky Spiritual Memoir. And, and I've got lots and lots of other books out there. But that's all you. If you go to my website. You'll see there's a page that says my books on Amazon and, and Apple, um, and it gives you a little breakdown of every book, and it has links to, to the purchase page on both of those platforms. And there's also in the blog section, there's there's uh, excerpts from each book as well. You can get in there and you can read uh, quite a bit of, of every book just to get a sense of, of the flavor. Because a lot of the books differ. There's there's books about spirituality. There's books about creativity, um, art, art, you know, creativity, writing. Uh, there's there's just there's fiction, there's poetry on there. If anybody's interested in that, though, it's hard to imagine in this day and age. <laughs> hey, I um, like poetry. I I I I do. I did spoken word poetry for a long time. Did you really? Mm-hmm. That's exciting. Yeah, I I love it. I I've been trying to find ways to 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 continue uh, writing it. It's just you know time is so hard right now. It is. But I do have I have two that I wrote in the last year that are on Spotify. Nice. I'll have to go look on Spotify. I would I would never have guessed it. I didn't know there was any spoken word poetry on Spotify. There's actually quite a bit. You know, it's on there. It's nice. on Apple too. Uh uh at least I think so. I don't know if I paid my DistroKid thing, which is where I was hosting it from. I, but it was like twelve dollars <laughs> a year, so who knows? Nice. All right. Well, Jack, thank you very, very much for that answer and for all your answers today. Uh, this has been a lot of fun for us. We always like having you on the show. I yeah. mean, honest to God, you always have, you, 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 you blow me away every time with something. <laughs> well, thank you. All right. Well, then I think that closes it. So uh, thanks, Jack. We had a great time. We hope you did, too. I did. Thank you so much for having me on. Of course. Anytime. Yeah.
Take a walk with 